We have always been your harbour, a play for voices. Written and produced by Peter Murphy, recorded and co-produced by Dan Comerford. This work was made as part of the Ports Past and Present project, funded by the European Regional Development Fund through the Ireland-Wales Cooperation Programme. It is morning on the world, morning on the harbour, morning on the port, morning on the bay, morning on the strand, morning on the ferry dock, morning on the ferry deck, morning on the lines of idling cars, morning on the dog walkers and the sea gazers, morning on the customs officers and the security guards. Morning on the car stewards waving the cars seaward. Wales looks west, the harbour east. One sets its clock by the falling sun, the other by its rising up again. And it is morning on the village too. Morning on the railway cottages whose door numbers number in the thousands. Morning on the Railway Club. Morning on the Hotel Rosslare and the Great Southern. Morning on the Super Value. Morning on the Hilltop Walk and on the Aztec-looking steps ascending skyward from the train station. Last stop on the line. And it is morning. Silver and shining on the face of the waters and on the promontory. On the burrow and on the spires of the sunken fort. Little Atlantis of the far southeast. And it is morning on Tusker Rock, where the lighthouse tells us by its silence that the winter's almost gone and spring has almost come. So rise up from your slumber, set the pot upon the hob, turn up your wireless. Listen. Three clicks. Morse for S. That's what the man transmitted, Marconi. Wireless pioneer. The detest broadcast from down the bay, halfway relay between Cornwall and Clifton. Dry run for the first transatlantic dispatch. All the way to Signal Hill, St. John's, Newfoundland, 1901. This channel is officially open. Skits and skiffle and big band. Blues and news and classical. And then, a radio play, a Swansea man, about a town named Buggerall Backwards, which became a book, a film, in the lower town of Fishguard, in the year of our Lord, in the kingdom of... Wales. Three of them washed up at the shore, stayed a week, and then one day were gone. My great-grandfather's sister was Ned Wickham's mam, Catherine G, who married Thomas Wickham, and they had a son called Edward, Ned, Whale Ned, a lifeboatman, decorated, participated in the Mexico rescue at Akira Rock on 1914. His parents were buried in a cemetery in Kilran, and they died a day apart in 1899. 
Wickham whale don't have no tail, no eyeballs, nor no fins. Ned Wickham found her stranded on a bank in the Hantoon Channel. A fearsome beast, ninety feet, parched and beached and ailing. Easter fell in March of that year of 1891. Ned drove a blade into her heart, euthanized her for our sins. The butchering took weeks, you never smelled such a reek. Men boiled the blubber, sold the oil, fourteen barrels for their toil, a salvage fee of fifty pounds, Bish Royale, claimed by the Crown, bought by William Armstrong for one hundred and eleven pounds, shipped her skeleton to London town, where she hangs in the dome of the Natural History Museum, where they come from every home in Christendom, to worship at a church made out of bones. When I was a child, my father would take his binoculars and bring me to the top of the hill and we would look out across the sea to the horizon line. This way is Wales, that way is Liverpool. We lived in Barryville, never bothered with the steps of the Strand. Instead, we slid the hill on a cut of cardboard, landed on the sand where the lads would kick a ball around, drinking cans in the ball alley, acting the jack. I still remember it. We were weightless. We were never present, and so we never left. The sea is the reason the port is here. The port is the reason the village is here. This is where we are. First I saw of the harbour, I thought to myself, this is hell, only wetter. I came up from the Republic of Cork, clothes shops, punk bands, none attacks, 19, started a three-month contract with Sealink. My mother bought me a pair of cords. Felt like things were crawling up my legs. The dad dropped me off at the Pirate's Den Cafe, top of the hill. I got a burger, cold and horrible. Standing in my brown trousers in the misty rain, looking over the April grey of Rosslare, thinking, what have you done? My digs was the Ailsa Lodge, an old boarding house, World War II escape tunnels. First night away from home, I went down to Murphy's supermarket, bought a ginger cake and a carton of milk and took them to my room and ate them and thought, this isn't right. This isn't what people eat. Where's my mum? Never went out at night. Once I sat in the Pink Panther over the same pint until closing the slagging I got. I was a martyr for the petticoat. Hitched home to Middleton every weekend to see the girlfriend and head back every Sunday night. One time I walked from Barntown to Kilran, hamper of washing on my back. Got a lift to the harbour at three in the morning from a navy guy up from Cove, up for work at nine. I clerked the booking office, taking reservations, operations, dealing with the freight. It was different then, less regulated. You could tell a trucker to feck off and the next day he'd be back laughing. Bikers, dockers, working class, hard drinking, plenty of youngsters around. Custom guys, girls coming to work, the hotels, shift work, plenty money, no kids, mortgages, boomtown. I stayed for the guts of 40 years. Any questions asked of us, the response was always this. Did the boat go out on time? 
ship comes in at morning. Ship goes out at night. Last orders, ladies, gents. Last one on deck. Shut out the light. Ah, looky yonder. The captains come ashore. Master and high command. High command of what, says you? What have you got, says I? Passenger management, man management, sickness management, complaints department, psychiatrist, physician, counsellor, diplomat, boss man, last man standing, heavy hangs the crown, all problems fetch up at my cabin door. We haven't left port yet and I'm checking legal definitions in the handbook on the Merchant Navy Code of Conduct, discipline, informal to dismissal, a quagmire, code written by lawyers, Regulations changing, and all the time you make sure the cargo is loaded safely and on schedule. Monitoring forecasts every minute, checking the weather. The weather dictates how late you're going to be if you're going to be late, how much fuel you're going to burn, how much company money you're going to spend, how uncomfortable it's going to be for the passengers. Are you going to make your slot time? Are you going to need tugs to assist you berthing? Hold your nerve. Keep chill. That's the skill. People ask, how did you learn to stay calm? by watching other lads go mental. Driving the ship, that's the hardest part. When you get to port, it's your job to do the pilotage and put the ship alongside the wall until she's safely in. Captain never touches the wheel until the final stages of maneuver. Say you're coming into port, the bay boy. You're on 244 degrees, helmsman has the wheel. You bring her around to 250 all the way in. As you approach the final turn of the berth, to starboard as we might say, I go on to the bridge wing. I take control of the console. Both the rudders independently are synchronized. My choice, levers, bow thrusters, splitting the sticks we call it. If you want the ship to go starboard, you put the port engine ahead, the starboard engine astern, the rudder to starboard and she'll turn. It's not ceremonial, lads. It's not a laying on of hands. It's the bringing of it home. It's not an easy thing. You've got winds, tides, visibility. Give me a hundred knots of wind before the pea soup any day. Two things most feared at sea. Fire and fog. Use your radar. Use your sounder. Failing that, your map, your pencil, chart. Why would a man go to sea, says you, for the stories? Seven years in law enforcement chasing lads who were using electricity to stun razorfish under the water to harvest them for money. Then the money laundering, the triads. I found myself in the back of an Emirates aircraft one night in Glasgow airport on my knees going through cocaine and razorfish and currency. I can spot a seafarer a mile away. You know them by the stare. All that time alone. Always thinking. Good things. Bad things. When am I going to get home? Always dressed the same. Looking for an electronic store for a cheap laptop. A phone. In Rotterdam. Filipino lads. Or Chinese. Or Turkish lads. The odd paddy. What ship you on? 
I remember one time we'd left Port Talbot having discharged iron ore, went down to Falmouth due to take bunkers by barge. The barge was to come out and fuel us, and then we were to head off to Port Cartier, but the weather started to turn in Falmouth when we were at anchor and the barge couldn't get alongside. And you're not allowed to go anywhere in the world unless you've got at least three days fuel reserves, so there was a quick calculation made, and we had enough to get to Quebec, just about the three days. So we set off across the Atlantic, but Hurricane Florence had originated down in the Caribbean and was tracking up the coast of the States, and we were tracking it in turn. We were sent the warnings, as was normal. We expected it to recurve across the Atlantic, but it didn't. It kept going north, so we kept going north. We had a Romanian captain at the time, a man named Dan. We were in Port Cartier for his birthday, and I gave him a bottle of Jemison, and I'd never seen it disappear so quickly. Anyway. We were advising the captain that going north is not a great idea because we're not ice class. We're up around Sable Island, around the Grand Banks, which is where the perfect storm happened. And we kept going north until we encountered ice. And then we had to go back south again. And of course, the hurricane recurved right across the top of us. We were in force 13 for three and a half days in ballast, no cargo on board. And just so you know, boat carriers are notorious for breaking their backs. In other words, they snap in half, especially if it's a cape-sized boat carrier, nine hatches, 170 ton capacity. And I remember in the cargo office, which was on the main deck as such, looking out the window, I could see the ship going like a melodeon, bending and creaking and banging. The nearest ship was about 200 miles away and it was a tanker, so it was never really going to be able any assistance to us if anything did go wrong. But anyway, we stuck it out. Most of us were living on the bridge by the end of the third day. It was probably the one time when I thought, this is how it ends. But for a finish, we got into Port Cartier on fumes. We are the drowned. We are the found. We are the fallen and the risen, the dead, the resurrected, from the Cape of Good Hope to the Cape of Cod, from Malinhead to Mizzen. Some go deep sea, others go to prison. Some are never seen again. Before the hedges grew high, we could see the lights of the Tusker Rock flash through our windows after dark. Twice every seven and a half seconds. Seven and a half miles it travelled. Seven and a half. Seven and a half. The Tusker was always there. The Tusker was always spoken of. The arrival of any ship was not the time of birth, but what time is she at the Tusker? Is she at the Tusker yet? She'll be at the Tusker soon. That lighthouse is a Stevenson. Men died when it was built. The Tusker always tells the story true. On a good day, it's clear and calm and visible. You're at the Tusker. You're almost home. There's not a lot that can go wrong. But heading out into a gale, you can barely see the lights of the Tusker flicker. 
You know it's there. It gives you ordinance. But it also tells the sailor, all's not well. When the rescue boats go out, you see crew members' families keeping vigil on the cliffs, waiting for their loved ones to return. At night on the viewing platform, I see a symphony of car alarms triggered by the motion of the swell. I cock my ear, I sip my wine, I listen for the wind. And sometimes I hear tell of the ghosts of the Pomona lost in the year of 1849. Once on the way to Narvik, we received a message to say there was a boat of refugees from the Gambia, 133 people in a wooden boat. They'd bumped into this yacht. The yacht was French. Its name was Epicure, which is a type of spud. The yachtsmen gave the refugees one of their engines because their own was totally burnt out. The distress call came. I said, we gotta go look at this. So I phoned the office and the DPA and said, we have this situation. Under Solace, we're obliged to respond and I'll never forget the site next morning when we came upon it. The boat was decorated African tribal style, heads shining in the sunlight. It was beautiful that day. We got them to come alongside, put a pilot ladder down the side of our vessel. Luckily, we were loaded deep in the water, but straight away they all started to try to get on the ladder, and the chiefs were probably only 22 or 23, but they had length of hosepipe. Wabin, and they started whipping whoever broke rank, including the women. I can still hear the lash of the hose off their backs, and most of them had a little plastic bag around their neck with a pair of flip-flops in it and some papers. But when order was restored, they came aboard, and it was arranged that they would go forward into a big store under our focusal deck where the anchors are housed. We had food prepared, but there was one chap left lying in the bottom of the boat. He had gangrene, lost a toe, Myself and two other lads climbed down the ladder and wrapped him in a stretcher. We had a little crane that was normally used for fuel hoses. Not exactly textbook, but we got him. And then I said, send me down the cargo net. And I put the two engines in it. I wasn't going to leave them in the Atlantic. And as we got underway, there was a sort of ceremonial coming together. Most of the passengers had a knife about their person somewhere. We couldn't see them at first, but they threw their blades over the side as if to say, no hassle here, we're all okay. I strapped myself by the belt to the axle of an Arctic freight and held on tight. A man came with a mirror on a stick. The Justice Department designated me a threat to the sovereign state because I didn't have a screenshot of a photocopy of a document on my Nokia. I got a guard escort through a ghost estate to an overlook hotel. I walked the length and breadth of the presidential suite, the sole and only guest of this establishment. 10 paces right, 10 paces left. Where I come from, I was a chef. I push potatoes around my plate. I stretch. I do press-ups. I pace the length and breadth of the presidential suite in a ghost hotel in a revenant estate. 
You hear these voices late at night. You ask how long it's been. They say, you never left. Born out of the sea. The Shields, the Wickhams, the Duggans. Strong families. They had to be. Traded rabbits, fish and eels. The fort was who they were. Then the storms came. Stranded from the mainland. The last family came off the fort in winter 1924. You stand there now at low water. It's a queer feeling. Like a fairy tale. Sunken town. Home surrendered to the waters, leaving only chainies, the stump of a flagpole, the tip of a spire. We keep their stories. We trawl the parish records. We restore the missing parts of history. The final entry in a rent collection log. Land submerged. We are your harbour. We have always been your harbour. Here at your beginning, here after your end. We are the drowned, we are the found. We are the fallen and the risen, the dead, the resurrected. From the Cape of Good Hope to the Cape of Cod, from Malinhead to Mizzen. Some go deep sea, others go to prison. Some die in far-off lands. Some come home, like Oshin, after decades in the land of the ever-young, to find all things have changed, and yet this landscape is the same. We are your harbour. We have always been your harbour. Here at your beginning. Here after your end. Now it is evening on the human world, evening on the harbour and on the ferry port, and on the bay and on the strand, evening on the ferry dock, evening on the ferry deck, evening on the lines of idling cars waiting to depart, evening on the dog walkers and the sea gazers, evening on the security guards and the car stewards waving the car seaward. Observe the sun, silver and shining as it descends upon the face of the waters and on the promontory, on the burrow, on the spires of the sunken fort, little Atlantis of the far southeast, where everything in this place began. And it is evening on Tusker Rock, where the lighthouse tells us by its silence that the day is done and night is come. So lock your door, and take your old collation of bones up those stairs and lay you down 
and close your eyes, for you are home. Yes, you are home. <laughs>